This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Ortho Joe Show, a joint production of the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery and Ortho Evidence. In our world, orthopedic research is king and current topics from our respective publications are analyzed weekly. Here is Mohit Bhandari from OrthoEvidence and Mark Swinkowski from the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. Well, good morning, Mo. Morning. I, I'm uh, here in uh, the office at the University of Minnesota, and of course, uh, as always, I have, there you go. I've already had one. Uh, this is number two. In general, I need three cups, but just before we get started with the topic that I would like to discuss with you today, yeah. I want to point out, I'm going to angle the screen down. Oh, look at that. We've had this debate about attire and professionalism. There's a phenomenon of for older surgeons, such as myself, where you have holiday ties, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, and yes. I think I have 22 uh and i don't nearly be uh, thanks to the pandemic i don't have near the opportunities to wear them so i'm taking this uh opportunity to abuse the anybody that's viewing this for <laughs> one of my favorites which is the looney tunes uh you're probably too young to know about looney tunes cartoons oh my gosh i grew up on them i love them. Oh, okay so yeah, this yeah. is you know this is uh, bugs bunny yeah uh it's uh the taz Oh yeah, Tasmanian Devil, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it it's uh, it's all good. Uh, Daffy Duck. I mean, we got right. the whole thing. So <laughs> that's awesome. Um, it's probably unprofessional attire, but you know, I think it's hip. I think it's very hip. I like. Yeah. I like it. I like yeah, it. Yeah. Well, would we be better as if you know this is the old style, really thick tie? We need. I need a oh. skinny, skinny holiday tie to <laughs> to get close to your sense of fashion uh, in your generation. But well, with that. Uh, necessary conversation out of the way. Mm. Um, what I'd like to talk about um, is a manuscript we just published um, uh, in uh, the uh, November, November 16th uh, edition of Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery, uh, and it is about position factors uh, as it relates to arthroplasty outcomes. And this is, I think, a very important uh, article, and from when our from our preliminary discussions, I think you agree. Right. But the impact of surgeon variability on patient reported outcome measures, length of stay, discharge disposition, and 90 day readmission in uh, total knee. This is from the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, and they looked at uh, a large data set, 5,429 patients between 2016 2018, with some various patient reported outcome measures, the COOS and uh, others. Uh, and they carefully looked at uh, minim minimally clinically important differences, and they looked at the impact of the surgeons on these patient-reported uh, outcomes. And uh, uh, they also looked at other patient-related outcomes, such as BMI, Charleston Comorbidity Index, 
etc., looking at the uh, impact of these factors, both patient factors and physician factors, on the patient-reported outcomes. And they conclude uh, in a, a very statistically sound done project that surgeon-related fact, surgeon factors may be stronger contributors to the one-year patient-reported outcome measures and length of stay than patient characteristics, which have been traditionally emphasized in the literature. So um, I, I think this is a very important paper. Uh, and just what are your thoughts on this whole your this whole issue of patient of surgeon factors? Sure. I mean, Mark, I mean, how many times have I sat in rounds or um, at a journal club where surgeons would dismiss, you know, some of our surgeons when I was a resident, for sure, would dismiss a paper because they're saying that's just not, I don't get those results. I mean, yeah. if you do this procedure correctly or whatever, you know, and there'd be all these days and everyone kind of rolled their eyes and say, well, you know, fair enough, right? Um, you can say that, but there's always been this internal belief that surgeon variability is an important factor. And this gets back to, I think, you know, another really critically important issue um, around the whole issue of randomized trials. So because yeah. randomized yeah. trials have always been, you know, believed to be, well, if you know, if you do a randomized trial and you, and you, in this case, adjust by center, meaning that, you know, the, like that we adjust for a center having, you know, an equal number of A's and B's getting put in, that does not get around the risk of having one surgeon who may be the, you know, having better outcomes getting all of the A's and one surgeon or group of surgeons who may not have the same outcomes getting all the B's, which could lead to this exact problem. Mm. So it, it does lead to a lot of, of issues and puts in question, as I think we've thought about in the, in the past too, with some of our other trials, how do you handle this yeah. um, with this realization? Because I think we've always believed it, but we've always thought, well, you know, our analyses can adjust for it. The truth is, I don't think our analyses can necessarily correct for a major imbalance. Um, and we have to be thinking of strategies in the way we think of trials, and not just for the more complicated procedures. Uh, Mark, I would say that some of the more you know, fundamental, like this is for total knee replacement, you said? Yeah, yes. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, you know, that, that's a fairly standard procedure, but still going to have, um, you know, a range of variability here. So. This is where I think um, we have a lot of opportunity and discussion. Now, before I jump to what I think the solution could be, which I think is the expertise-based trial, we, which we've talked about a bit, mm. that may not still be the answer. But I'm curious from your perspective when you um, read this, what is it about this that gave you pause? Well, that just uh, it, it is uh, so clearly uh, a major factor in patient-reported outcomes because when of all the types of uh, interventions that we study in, in orthopedics, I mean, uh, you know, total knee replacement is at the top of the list as far as the how common it is and the yeah. huge numbers, you know, seven, eight, nine hundred thousand per year, right? Uh, maybe even a million a year in 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 the states, uh, and there's not that many surgeons who are doing it, so there are it's pretty much a high volume. Uh, procedure, especially at a place like the Cleveland Clinic, where it's a major referral center, people being referred for arthroplasty in from perhaps all around the country. So it was just to see that there was that much influence of the individual surgeon was a bit shocking. Quite frankly, I've been less surprised uh, in trauma trials um, because 
you know, the, the surgeon is, is is so critical in terms of reduction of fracture, whether it's closed or open. Uh, and we know that there's variability in the surgeon ability to get a, a good reduction. And we, right. we've seen this with the hip trials of, right. of uh, you know, malreduction of fracture when we're trying to isolate the impact of an implant. The implant is put at an unfair stress when the fracture is not reduced. So like cut out and things like that. So um, what surprised me was the magnitude of effect for perhaps the most common major procedure in lower extremity surgery. That's what surprised me. And so the question is, what do you do about it? I mean, so, okay, so now we have this whole database of trials. And let's just say that we take this study at face value. I mean, obviously it'll be repeated, we hope, and there'll be others looking at the same data. But sure. let's just say this is an absolute truth, that in fact, um, you know, that they've defined some measure of variability, that variability exists, and there's a magnitude that we can quantify. If you look now at every prior trial, and I know that this wasn't a trial per se, it was an observational study, right. but now we apply this to trials where we looked at A versus B, you know, some a total lip replacement or a total knee replacement where they've looked at liner A versus B, some implant A versus implant B. You know, how do you make sense of all that now, knowing that even if we adjust it for center, we've missed out on that fundamental issue, which is within a center, there's a lot of variability and it and the randomization could have quite reasonably led to um you know big differences between you know which surgeons got which patients and one surgeon could very easily in a when you're randomizing across six seven surgeons one surgeon could very easily be the one who gets he or she could get five a's in a row just because of the way it works out the patients get relegated so it's not unreasonable to think you know, that, that we could have these imbalances all over the place, which kind of puts a, a bit of a, a challenge into how we think about studies. So do studies now have to, should we be asking, um, you know, for some general idea of, we'll say not necessarily qualifications, but expertise. We talked about the expertise trial, like we did right. in the health trial, some measure of expertise. Should we be, you know, uh, thinking about surgeon now being a factor in you know adjustment right up, right up front like you know collecting by individual rather than by center you know those kind of things add a pretty significant amount of complexity and to how we think about how we're going to move this forward right and i uh, you you may be aware but i i am not of any trial where it there has been an adjustment for the surgeon the no. individual surgeon have you no. seen that before? No. So way back when, uh, in the days of the uh, sprint trial, um, so you know we had we had had uh, some discussion around the individual surgeon because remember there was a huge cr uh, crossover right between the non-ream to the ream. But with, with the reality was that one in four surgeons in the sprint trial for the ream to non-ream tibial nailing study hadn't actually performed an unreamed nail. So they were being told for the first time, I'm going to do an unreamed nail. And there was a lot of crossover from unreamed to reamed. So we evaluated that. We didn't have enough, we didn't have enough surgeons doing enough cases that Steve Walter, who was the senior statistician right. at that time, was able to determine that there was, you know, um, uh, you know, it, it, uh, a bias that was based on differential expertise. But I can tell you that for sure exists, right? This idea of a differential expertise bias is really the risk that we're trying to mitigate. Right. And that gets back to then what do you do, right? So in this particular case, the solution that PJ Devereaux and others at McMaster had suggested, and we attempted really to apply that broadly in the health trial or hip fracture uh, trial of uh, total versus hemiarthroplasty was 
rather than randomizing patients, you know, like rather than surgeon, you know, um, getting patient A or patient B, it was a patient is randomized to a surgeon with expertise in the in the specific technique that they're you know that that they are going to be allocated to. In that mindset, you would have to then have some measure to say, well, what is that threshold for expertise? And this gets into a whole bunch of stuff. Like this paper, you know, in many ways, if we take it as you know, truth, has a huge implication on the way we think of uh, trials and uh, organizing research going forward. It's it, this is not a um, non-complex issue to deal with now. Oh, absolutely, and and. Of course, there's a, a huge difference between elective surgical trials, which this, yeah. this, this is not a trial. Again, we should be clear. Yeah, right. It's not a trial. It's an observational uh, a cohort uh, analysis. Yeah. Uh, but between elective and tra and traumatic surgery, where it's it's totally different. And I, I would really like to point out, too, that it, it may not be that these differences at one year in patient-reported outcomes is solely related to how the implant is put in. As a matter of fact, I would venture to guess it, it may be just as important in patient selection, how the patient is instructed before and after about what to expect, yeah. the rehabilitation uh, protocols, and how the individual uh, patient is compliant with them, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think those are more likely than not, those non-surgical factors are more important than actually how the implant is put in because at a place like this, you're, you know, the variability in, in the in the alignment of the of the tibial cut is is not going to be great uh, for sure uh, in an experience center like this. So it, it is issues around patient communication and uh, pre and post op uh, information and 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 how those patient characteristics interact with those instructions. Now let me ask you this, um, Mark, from a broader perspective of let's just say you know there's so much um, interest right now in you know, patients choosing their surgeons. I mean, this kind of information you know, is, is particularly important or can be particularly important for you know, sort of the implications around at a broader level. And I, I'd imagine in USA more so than Canada, but for them, I'm sure it happens everywhere, which is patient you know, finds out, well, I wanna know. I wanna know if your outcomes are comparable yeah. to someone else's outcome. You know, if, if, if this, if this if I'm told that this has a huge implication, there will be an open demand for that. And the question is, what does that look like? And what sort of information and data are individual surgeons gonna be required to provide? If in fact, again, I mean, this goes down a whole pathway of validation of this work, but let's just say, right, it, it, this opens up a lot of, of uh, different, uh, you know, issues because the reality Absolutely. is it's, it will because remember the reality is is that up until now it's always been like you know everyone just says you know look listen you come to me you've come yeah. to the right place yeah. here's how i do it i do it very well yeah but now when the you know when there's research that says no it definitely has impact right because you know yeah. we you know there's volume outcomes research that's been done in the past that talks about but this is this is, this is getting to a very specific issue around surgeon matters yeah Absolutely. everyone believes that right but yeah. patients now you know have choices right you know? It, well, there's there's a, a large number of centers in the joint replacement realm that are, you know, collecting routinely uh, patient reported outcome measures as well as uh, uh, clinical measures pre, post op, and trying to get follow up out to a year, uh, and then 
looking at individual surgeon results as they relate. And I, I think that should be public information personally. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, patients, uh, as they become more literate with what patient reported outcome measures can do, uh, and their limitations as well, uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's going to have a, a broad spread interest, uh, across the board in having this information, uh, be public. I don't have a problem with that because, you know, we started out the conversation. You you mentioned the the conference where the where you're talking about a paper, and then the professor gets up and say, "Well, uh, this doesn't apply to me. Uh, you know, I I don't right. have these results." When reality, all they're talking about is the last two cases they can re remember. You right. know, they don't have a systematic follow up of the patients that they think they do or would like to think they do, and and that's just not right. I, When I go around talking about uh, the impact of the surgeon, I often use the acetabular fracture fixation. And I know you did work with Joel Mata, but right. it is really unfair for, uh, or incorrect rather, not un, uh, as well as unfair to quote a patient, the results from Joel Mata's uh, massive series as it relates to that individual patient. When you've got a surgeon who's done 50 acetabular uh, fracture surgeries that that results from that surgeon are not going to be Joel Mata's results, and that individual surgeon has the responsibility of assessing their own outcomes in terms of, you know, conversion to hip replacement or infection or return to the OR or or, or whatever. Um, and we're just not doing that in any systematic way. Uh, and I think we in the future we're going to have to find better ways to give patients the information as to what individual surgeon outcomes are, in fact. And I'd argue it happens in almost every area, right? I mean, yeah. you know, we publish a meta-analysis, we publish a trial, and that becomes the, the you know sort of the focus for giving prognostic information to patients. With this procedure, based on this yeah. research, you are likely to have yeah. this outcome. Correct. Larger studies, though, I guess Mark would argue that, okay, they're probably going to be a mix of all the you know you know sort of the variability among surgeon expertise that would be built into that overall estimate but you're right you can't have single surgeon series like a joe mata series for example yeah. and say well my my results would apply to his unless you for some reason have have a similar yeah have a similar number of cases or um there is a well-defined learning curve threshold that you are you know surpassed which right this is, these are not again um, <laughs> yeah, trivial. This, uh, this paper, this paper could be. I, mean, yeah, I, I looked at this yesterday when you sent it to me. I said, yeah. "We should." I said, "Yep." There's no point in me discussing anything else because we can go for another 20 minutes on this one because um, yeah. it opens up. It opens up a lot more questions um, than even the things that we can answer. But these are important issues because I think you know it brings to light so many issues that we take for granted every day. Absolutely. And it, 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 it cuts to the root of how difficult surgical trials are compared to pharmacologic trials uh, or other types of intervention where the surgeon is the method. Here. Yes. Uh, you know, yeah. we're trying to tease out the, uh, the impact of the implant, but the surgeon is 80, 90 percent of the, the result. Um, and, and, and not only with the, the, the technical expertise, but also the pre and post-op management and discussions, et cetera. And uh, I think we just need to be a little bit more uh, honest about this, but I am grateful that uh, the challenge of surgical trials is what brought uh, Gord Guyot uh, into your life and my life, but yeah. Gord obviously 
very successful doing uh, cardiac trials and uh, mm. cancer trials, et cetera. And right. he accepted the challenge of uh, educating us in the surgical world in orthopedics about how to do these these trials well. And for that, I'm forever grateful. So, yeah, I think this is a this is a paper that's going to stir some stir, stir some things up. And I think we're going to see a lot of submissions focusing more on the impact of the surgeon and how we can adjust, et cetera, et cetera. So I think you're right. That's a great paper. Yeah. Good. Well, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, go for cup number three. Uh, and, uh, thanks. I, I'm just going to say, having just returned from India, I'm going chai. I'm going chai latte now. That's oh. what I'm doing. Right. So just, you know, just changing just, it up a bit. Chai lattes are fantastic, <laughs> particularly in the wintertime. It's great. I know. So have a great day and uh, thanks right. for the discussion, Mo. Very interesting okay. as always. Great. Take care. Cheers. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.